Hello again, Gator Nation, and welcome back to the In All Kinds of Weather Forecast. I'm your host, Dustin Smith, and you can follow me on Twitter at IAKOWDustin. And as always, I'm joined by an All Kinds of Weather founder and lead writer, Neil Schulman. And you can follow him on Twitter at All Kinds Weather. And of course, if you aren't already, you can follow our podcast Twitter at IAKOWForecast. So, Neil, it's Labor Day weekend, and we're kind of pressed for time today, so we're going to skip the pleasantries and dive right into things. Florida opened up its season against FAU Saturday with a 35-14 to win. The Gators did win the game, and it wasn't anywhere close to as ugly as the last time Florida played FAU. But to, it will definitely suffice to say that there was a lot left to be desired, and we have a ton to talk about on this show, amongst other things, one of those things we're going to talk about is a possible quarterback controversy brewing in Gainesville. So we're going to save that to last. I know each of you that are listening right now are dying to hear about just that topic. So before we dive into the quarterback situation, Neil, what stood out to you? What is uh, one major takeaway on offense and one major takeaway on defense? Yeah, happy, uh, happy Monday, guys. Happy, happy post-Florida Gator football game Monday. Of course, there's a lot of stuff for us to talk about. We're going to get right to that. Um, we're all doing about as well as you'd probably think we're doing, because I know that's a question that we always start the pod with. Hey, how you doing? How's it going? Uh, we're we're doing. We're we're a little perturbed by what we saw. Uh, we're gonna save the main thing for last, as as Dustin said. Um, I'm gonna go with the offensive line as my non QB offensive takeaway. It it looked pretty good. I I know this is Florida Atlantic, and that means that this was the worst defensive line that Florida went up against since uh, probably Towson in 2019. Um, the last week of September in 2019, so almost two full seasons ago, the worst defensive line we went up against since then. But the date, the offensive line for Florida looked pretty good, and I mean the guys were firing off the snap. They created some pretty nice spaces. Uh, the running backs did their jobs too. There was one play late in the or yeah midway through the third quarter where it didn't look like there was a lot of room for Damian Pierce to run through, but. Gene DeLance, who's taken he's taken a beating from the fan base the last couple of years. And I think honestly, rightly so. He hasn't been doing the job that Florida fans have thought he was going to do. But he came out of his stance and he landed a nasty block that sprang Damian Pierce on a cutback to the outside. So good for you, Gene DeLance. I know you've been taking a beating from the fan base, but I'm happy for you. I know that had to felt good for you. It's going to feel real good to you when you go over the film of this game. That was nice to see. Uh, the, the pass blocking wasn't awful, hard to gauge because of the quarterback issues we're going to get to momentarily, but the run blocking was very impressive. Again, against a terrible opponent, but nonetheless better than we saw them do last year. And, and we played Vanderbilt last year, so they didn't look so great in that game either. So nice to see the offensive line do their job in the run blocking game. Florida rushed for 400 yards on the day, and that is by far the most in Dan Mullen's tenure at Florida. That is a testament to guys like Malik Davis and Anthony Richardson and Emory Jones, who broke some nice runs, uh, and Damian Pierce. But it all starts up front, so shout out to the offensive line. You guys did your jobs. I'm happy for you. I know that's got to feel good to you after what happened last year. So that's the offense takeaway. Defensive takeaway, um, I mean, I kind of wrote about this. I'm just going to I'm gonna, I'm gonna expand a little bit on what I wrote so I don't just parrot it. Um, but my one of my friends has a name for this Florida defense under Todd Grantham. Um, it, it's called the, the turnover points defense because every time the opponent gets the ball and Florida's on defense, one of three things are going to happen. One, they're going to drive the other team backwards and force a three and out. Two, they're going to outright force the turnover. Or three, they're going to give up a lot of yards and most likely some points. And it's going to take you know a, a blown field goal or a terrible interception or something for them not to score points. There's no in-between. 
it's either three and out and you're going to lose yards or maybe gain one yard and three plays, or you're going to get shredded for a long punishing drive. And that's what happened so, last night. So, Neil, just to interject, I'm sure Casey would appreciate this if he was on with us today. Um, unfortunately, he's not feeling too well. Uh, but another way to call it is the turn or burn defense. I guess Either works. you force a turnover or you get burned. The turn or burn defense? Like, well, it's not the worst name I've ever heard. Um, I mean, we, we lost totally some different of the problems. context somewhere else. We lost, yeah. No, it, it, you know, turn or burn. Because, well, they did get burned. They gave up 335 yards of offense to a program that's much better on the defensive side of the ball than the offensive side of the ball. And we made this offense that was just dreadful last year look like suspiciously good. As in, it shouldn't have looked that good. Nikosi Perry is their quarterback, the former Miami Hurricane. I mean, I, I watched him play a few times at Miami. He was awful. He's awful. And he looks competent all of a sudden at FAU. And that's, I mean, that just shouldn't be. So we did make some big plays. We did get five sacks. We did rip the ball out a few times. We did fall on one of those fumbles. But, I mean, man... 335 yards to FAU. I know some of that's in the fourth quarter, but even still, I mean, there, there were still busted assignments. There were still guys lining up 10, 11, 12, 13 yards off the line of scrimmage. Uh, you know, cornerbacks lining up 13 yards off the line of scrimmage. Just not what should be happening against FAU. So I'll, I'll give them another couple games before I, you know, say what everyone wants me to say about the defense in 2021. But um, yeah, they made big plays. They did return to the 2019 form of turnover points as opposed to just being downright atrocious like they were last year, but uh, not, not a good initial impression at all. So those are my takeaways. How about you, Dustin? As far as offense, I think that obviously we're going to spend a little bit more time talking about the quarterback situation um, in just a few minutes, but I, I really want to focus on the receiving group. Um, I was disappointed not to see more uh, more separation, and uh, I was I was surprised not to see better route running. Um, we it's almost an expectation that when we go from one year to the next, that the receiving group is just going to pick up from where the the previous year's receiving group left off. And I know, you know, obviously when you're losing guys like Kyle Pitts and and uh, Kaderis Tony and Trayvon Grimes, um, two of which were first-round draft picks. I mean, obviously, there's going to be some sort of drop-off, but come on. I mean, I know that the passes could have been better, but there were several catchable balls that were dropped, and you can't have that. You know, I'm getting, I'm getting a nightmares in, in uh, flashbacks to the Oklahoma game um, where we lost 55 to 20. And a big reason why the offense was so inept in that game is because that offense required an effective passing game. And in that game, it seemed like every other play was a drop ball. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we're, we're going to talk about the quarterback situation, but we can't really do that without talking about what the receivers have to do. I mean, I know the old adage is that it takes two to tango. So, I mean, I want to see, I want to see the quarterbacks play better, but I also want to see the receivers play better. You know, no one, no one is, uh, is, is getting on Jacob Copeland for only, only having one reception. Um, I mean, he was definitely on the field for more than one play. He definitely had more than one opportunity to get open. We got to step it up. I mean, you look at guys like, uh, Justin Shorter. Justin Shorter, yeah, he had four receptions, but only 11 yards. I mean, albeit most of those receptions were, um, you know, little little out routes or, or in the flats. But, I mean, we need, to, we need to break tackles. We need to have more explosive plays on the receiving side of things. As far as defense, um, the, our front seven is great. I know that toward the end of the game – as things wore down and we started putting backups in there, we weren't as effective in that category. And of course your front seven should be excellent against a team with, with a, 
an offensive line like FAU. I mean, obviously, you know, they're two and three stars in that offensive line. I mean, Florida on our offensive line, we're mostly three stars, but I'll leave that for another episode. Um, we performed as expected on the defensive line. And our secondary, I mean, it's hard to not improve from the previous year, but our secondary did improve. I know we gave up, like you mentioned, we, we gave up quite a few yards uh, toward the end of the game, but overall is pretty impressed. Um, I was especially impressed with, with uh, Trey Dean, who had six tackles, two solo. Um, I thought he played great, but, but somebody that really stood out to me was Mordecai McDaniel. I mean, that guy ha- had, a, had a game. Uh, six tackles, three solo, but he was all over the field, not only in uh, in making tackles, but I thought he played well from a, a secondary standpoint. Didn't have a perfect night, but I thought he played pretty good. Um, so I'm excited. I know that uh, coming into this game and coming into the season, I really wanted to see how our secondary would play, and and I think we'll, I think we'll be pretty good. Um, obviously, in a couple weeks, we'll be We'll be talking about a, a more formidable opponent, and we'll see how the secondary holds up to that type of juggernaut. Um, but yeah, uh, other than, of course, the main discussion of this pod, which will be the quarterback situation, the, those are my takeaways, Neil. So Yeah, I mean, it's, it's fair. It's fair to say that the defense looked better. The front seven was good against FAU. I don't know that if they do every single thing that they did against FAU, they suddenly look just that good against Alabama, uh, which is kind of what I'm referring to when I say the turnover points defense is back. Even in the fourth quarter, man, it's FAU. Like your backups shouldn't be giving up 20, 30, you know, 40 plus yard gains with no one within, you know, 20 yards of the guy as they were, as it happened a couple of times. Uh, down the stretch in that game. But the receivers is is a very good point. Uh, and it's one that I'm going to touch on when we get into the quarterback debate. But they they didn't help. I mean, they just did not help. It's no secret, and I'm going to tease it by saying, yeah, we all know Emory Jones wasn't spectacular. His receivers did not help at all. And if that doesn't – if that root running doesn't get crisper, uh, Florida is going to get embarrassed by Alabama because – you got to give a, a struggling quarterback at least something to work with. But yeah, enough about that for now. Um, Dustin, shall we get to, shall, shall we stop teasing it and start talking about the QBs? Yeah, Neil, let's, let's dive into the quarterback controversy. I like, I like the additional syllables you stick in the word sometimes, the controversy. It's a bit of a George Bush, uh, George Bush vibe. Um, <laughs> Yeah, man, let's do it. Let's talk about the QB situation <laughs> while Go Dustin collects himself. Um, yeah, all right. So, I mean, let's just be real. We keep it respectful, but we keep it real on the pod. Uh, that's, that's our motto. And keeping it respectful means that, you know, we, we neither Dustin nor I nor Casey are, are fans of some of the things that people have been saying on social media, especially when they tag Emory Jones. That's just not – productive and not called for but keeping it real means the guy wasn't great and and he's a guy that I've been a big fan of he's a guy I've been very high on um I I know him personally he's a very good kid but I mean the, the tape is the tape and and the tape showed some good things in the first couple drives but after that point, it was rough. So I'm going to let you go first and give your analysis first, and then I'll give mine. Uh, Casey, unfortunately, couldn't be here, as you mentioned. So I, I know you and him agree on on the QB situation more or less. So I'm going to let you take it for both yourself and Casey first. Let me just say this. What a, what a great kid in memory. He's waited his turn. Um, I know I had the opportunity to make a graphic uh, that we posted just before the game in celebrating the journey that he's been on. And even coming into this season, I was so high on Emory that I made him my Heisman pick because my thought was, hey, if we're going to have a quarterback that's finally a quote-unquote perfect fit for a Dan Mullen system, this is by far the most talented team in that particular system that Dan Mullen's been a head coach for. Um, even the team that had Dak Prescott. Obviously, Dak Prescott was pretty good. Still playing the NFL. 
But that team around him, not even close to what this team is, at least, or what it should be. From a, receive, a receiving standpoint, you have four and five stars all over the field. Okay, I fully expected this team from a passing standpoint to not really not have too many uh, drop-offs from the, the year prior. And that's why I expected Embry to be better. But what I really want to say about Embry Jones is I fully expected him after three years of being in the system for his throws to be crisp, for his reads to be spot on. Um, that's how it has to be. I mean, you look at Alabama and you, you look at Bryce Young. I mean, Bryce Young's basically a sophomore and he comes in with his first start and you don't notice any difference from him being in the game versus when Matt Jones was playing for Alabama last year. There should be no excuse for a player, and, and all due respect to Emory, but there should be no excuse for a player to come onto the field in Division I football for the University of Florida, for crying out loud, one of the, one of the top 10 premier football programs in the country, and, and to play like that. You gotta make your reads. I know, look, I know Dan Mullen gets a lot of flack, right? But he's still he's still either the premier quarterback coach in America or one of the premier quarterback coaches in America. There's literally no excuse to go into the game and play like that from a passing standpoint. I mean, we literally had to shave off pages in our playbook. Because we couldn't, we couldn't run where we couldn't throw the ball effectively. And that sucks. It's frustrating. And again, I love Emery. But that is not how you play football. In, in terms of playing quarterback, I should say. He ran the ball well. I mean, anytime you're, anytime you're, you're averaging 7.4 yards per carry, that's good. Emery's not bad at running the ball. But if Dan Mullen is going to continue to preach balance then Emory's not putting in that performance i'm telling you we look we, we look more like the triple option georgia tech teams right now than we do any type of florida team i mean it's 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 almost it's almost humorous to me that last year we led the nation in passing and now albeit one game we now lead the nation in rushing 400 yards oh well, while we have a head coach that preaches balance. So, you know, I could go at nauseum at some of the things that I've seen with Emory, but real quick, let me talk about Anthony Richardson. What an electric player. On just seven carries, he had 160 yards, including a 73-yard touchdown that was beautiful. I mean, I can't come up with a better word. I mean, from beginning to end, and, and let me give – um, gamble a shout out for for uh, for making the big time block that that sprung um, Anthony for the touchdown. But on top of that, I mean, AR AR fifteen as we like to call him had a hurdled a player, and you know that's the main highlight that we see. But before that, he broke like three other tackles. The guy is incredible. So yeah, you know we could pick apart AR's passing as well. But I mean, the, what makes this quarterback controversy, controversy so hard? I'm gonna, I'm gonna stop right now, and I want to hear your thoughts, Neil, on this. But what makes this quarterback controversy so hard is it's not just that Emory did not live up to expectations, but it's that AR was just so explosive, and he would he he showcased such elite talent on on these plays that it it befuddles my mind why we're starting one specific quarterback over the other. And, of course, we'll continue to talk about it. But, Neil, um, I'm still decompressing from all this. What are your thoughts? Yeah, well, you had the, you had the, disadvantage, the, you had the disadvantage of being at the game, which is, is great, but it, it hurts you from uh, the perspective of being able to, like, watch the film and watch it with uh, – you know, being able to watch it a second time with the nerves of the moment and the, and the, the emotion of the game you know, in the moment uh, attached – so, uh, look, I'm, I, as I've made no bones about, I am a fan of Anthony Richardson. 
I am a huge fan of Anthony Richardson, in fact, uh, and I am a huge fan of Emory Jones. And I, you know, I know Emory. We're, you know, we're not best friends. It's not like my relationship with James Houston, but I know him. Like I've met his family. He he knows me. If he sees me, I like the guy personally, and I have to detach that from this and. I mean, I'm going to be the one to play defense for him, but it's going to be a very lukewarm defense because I can't defend what I saw last night or Saturday night for those of you listening um, on Monday or, or later in the week. I can't defend that. I can't defend the fact that Emory Jones doesn't look comfortable after three years and nine months of being in the system, not being able to pick up where I can't say not being able to put, not being able to pick up where Kyle Trask left off because they're very different quarterbacks and Trask was a Heisman finalist, but at least not looking like a very clear successor to Kyle Trask at quarterback. So here, here is the strongest defense of Emory Jones that I can offer. My big thing is that it was one game and I'll say it again. I'll be very clear about this. It wasn't good. It didn't look good on the stat sheet. It didn't look good on the game tape. It didn't make me feel good about Florida's chances to beat Alabama or Georgia or compete for the SEC East, but it was just one game. Not a game that made me think any more highly of Florida's outlook in the season, but it was just one game. Now, he looks like that again against South Florida. My take changes because then it's a matter of, all right, well, there was this FAU game, and now there's this USF game, which is not the first game of the year, where you don't have the quote-unquote first game nerves. Any nerves and jitters that do show up there are inherent in him and not just chalked up to his first game. So maybe that's something he's not going to get rid of, and that's two inferior opponents now that Emory doesn't look good against. Not just one game anymore. The one isn't just the first game jitters. It's the question of, does this guy – have it and like period point blank, not first game, not, you know, long layoff. No, no, no. Does he have it period? Can he ever regain that composure on a consistent basis that he had against Auburn in 2019 when Kyle Trask got hurt and he had to come in cold off the bench and keep the offense humming for a little bit. Um, and, and because I know that Casey would have asked me where my red line is with Emory, if he was able to make it today, because you know, he's the resident, smart ass of the pod. So he, he was going to ask that. Um, I'll tell you what my red line is. He's got about three drives against USF to show me something that says, yeah, he is the guy that was a bad game. It was just an anomaly. Uh, he's got three drives to show me something before I change my opinion and go, yeah, this isn't working. Let's go to AR. I'm well, maybe, maybe, maybe if one of the drives is like, the first play, a handoff goes to Malik Davis and he goes 75 yards for a touchdown or Malik Davis breaks a tackle but then fumbles the ball and USF falls on it. Like, all right, maybe four drives then. But give or take three drives to show me something that proves to me that he is the guy that can do what he's supposed to do. Um, and the things that went wrong were the things that I will say will get better or should get better the more snaps he takes in games. Like staring down receivers, you can practice not doing that all you want. It's not going to matter. When you're in the game, it's just different. If you played quarterback, Dustin, you know it's just very different from doing it in practice, doing it in the game. Um, but you know what? Let, like you said, too, earlier, let's spread the blame where it belongs. His receivers didn't help him. I touched on this uh, earlier, but Richardson didn't get help from them either virtually no separation from the coverage. And that's really not good against FAU. The, the two QBs threw for a combined 153 yards and 36 of them are on one badly busted coverage with AR in the game to Jamarcus Weston. I know we rushed for 400 yards, but I mean, Dustin, you want to talk about balance. It's, it's not balanced to be really good at one area of the game, which, by the way, we don't even know if Florida is because that was a very, very weak FAU defensive front. So that rushing for 400 yards doesn't tell me anything about how good we are on the ground in reality. And we got to crisp up the route running. We, we just we, we got to run better routes. We can't you know drag our feet. We can't just take three steps and then take two steps to transition from you know running vertically to making a dig or crossing across the field. No, there's got to be a foot in the ground, push off, explode off that step, and get open. Back to Emory one last time. Um, 
it wasn't good. It didn't look good. It didn't make me feel good about the year. Anthony Richardson did excite everyone in the crowd. He didn't look so great throwing the ball either. He he was three for eight with one of his three completions being for like 90% of his yards on a busted coverage. Um, but yeah, I mean, Emory Jones has to figure it out against USF. He has to be able to show me something, has to be able to show his teammates something before he, they lose trust in him. Because right now his teammates are on social media going, yeah, back off. He's going to be fine. He's going to be fine. If he loses that trust in them to do that, it's going to get ugly. So US, USF is huge, obviously, for him. But until then, I'm reserving judgment and I'm tapping the brakes. Yeah, Neil, um, I definitely agree with you. There, there's a couple things that I want to talk about. But first, you mentioned Casey, who's not with us. But I think you have something to say about one of Casey's predictions from one of our previous pods. Oh, yeah, that's right. Casey, um, he, he called LSU losing to UCLA. I was not about it. I said, nah, you're crazy. <laughs> you're crazy, man. They go, to, they go to the Rose Bowl, and they lose by double digits. So, and, and Casey specifically said that Charbonnet kid on UCLA is going to have a big game, and that's exactly what happened. So, Casey, I uh, feel better, first of all. He's not feeling well today, which is why he's not on the pod. So, feel better. Um, second, I hope you hearing these words coming out of my mouth will assist you in your task of feeling better because that was pretty impressive. I would not have predicted that LSU was favored. They had a lot of talent coming back. They had those two corners and Eli Ricks and Derek Stingley, who I still think is the best cornerback tandem in the country. And they just go and lay an egg against UCLA. So I don't know if that's UCLA being legitimate under Chip Kelly finally, or if LSU is just still that bad. Um, I do think that Ed Orgeron is the next coming of Gene Chizik and that he's a one-hit wonder with Joe Burrow and will not do anything of substance after that point. But nonetheless, Casey, you nailed it. So hats off to you, sir. Good job. Uh, feel better. We'll get you back on the next pod so you can personally crow about it. But, yeah, there we go. I got that out of the way. Yeah, man, Neil, good job. So, yeah, Casey, well-deserved. You know, I mean, that, that episode was full of heated discussion and, and hot takes and uh we had one hot take going the completely right direction and one that went in the completely wrong direction and uh you know i mean a lot can change possibly but i think it's safe to say that emory jones is likely not a heisman contender to say the least and speaking of which it's very difficult right now like we were talking about for the the fan base to really look at this situation with the the right perspective. When I say right, I'm speaking in terms of what likely will happen versus what likely should happen. Obviously, I mean, we we put it out on Twitter. What are your thoughts? And we got quite a few responses. We always appreciate when when the the fans of the podcast uh, give their own feedback on on, uh, what they want to be part of the show. So, Neil, do you have a specific tweet um, that you want to read aloud and, and uh, give to our audience concerning what they I think do. should happen. Yeah. Um, we always get some good feedback from fans. I'm going to use the one from um, at MA Bennett, 1982 mother B um, that says EJ five should get the start against USF, but if he can't make better decisions when throwing the ball, you have to play AR 15 against Alabama with a game plan of throwing the ball less than 10 times. Passing game is going to be non-existent and we need to limit possessions by running, which I wholeheartedly agree with, except for the, the, the line about throwing the ball less than 10 times. I think we can probably get away with throwing it 15 or 20 times. If maybe half of those are extensions of the running game, like with bubble screens or flares or something. Um, I, I don't know that I trust either quarterback to try to shred Alabama's defense down the field vertically. Um, but I mean, yeah, everything else about that is pretty dead on. EJ5 should get the start against USF because it was one game. He has been in the system for three years and nine months. One game does not set a rule, but he got, he's got to show something. And I don't think that we're going to be able to win the game if we throw the ball more than 20 times or so. So obviously it's going to be a bit different offensive look than we had last year. But, I mean, Emery, yeah, that – I'm I'm still at a loss, man. Honestly, I I I didn't think 
I mean, I knew he wasn't the the thrower that Kyle Trask was. I knew he wasn't the thrower that Will Greer was. But I mean, that that just took me by utter shock. So, I mean, I'm still kind of processing it. But Dustin, what was what was your tweet that you took away? Yeah, from Austin Hunter, and uh, this is something that we already talked about a little bit. So I'm not going to spend too much time on it. But this is what he wrote. He wrote EJ five has been a part of this program for a number of years. It looked like he was lost last night. It's not like he's just learning a new offense. Guys like Bryce Young are game ready when they step on the field. We shouldn't expect less. I think it's super important to think about this. Like we were talking about earlier, this is the University of Florida. And while it, it may be improper to right out of the gate, expect Emory Jones to be Kyle Trask. I think it's also important to note, we should, we should be seeing better production from him. I mean, Coach Mullen said yesterday during discussion with the media that he missed reads that he shouldn't miss. I mean, that's a basic part of, of playing quarterback. You know, I, I personally may not be able to uh, throw the ball like Emory Jones. I definitely can't run like em- Emory Jones. If you've seen me in person, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But I, I can make reads. I mean, I played backup quarterback in high school, and we ran a very similar offense to what Dan Mullen runs, and I made reads. The reason why I was able to make reads is because of repetition. Play after play, and I'm, and again, I'm not saying I agree a thousand percent with you. Okay, repetition. We have the expectation here, as a fan base for the University of Florida, that our quarterbacks are going to spend time in the film room, and through repetition, with throw after throw after throw, in practices and in uh, hangout sessions with wide receivers after practice during the off season, that these reads will become natural football is not a it's not a game of it it's not a game where you where you think about it for two minutes and then you you do something it is a reactionary sport and it should be automatic when emory jones sees the corner doing something and the flat defender doing something else and the safety doing um you know if the safety moves up the corner the corner moves to the left the flat defender stays low you know, your, your, uh, your slant's probably going to be open or, or your crossing route's probably going to be open. You know, I, could, I wish I had the, the opportunity to, to telestrate for you guys. Um, but there's certain things that you just got to know by this point. I mean, you would expect some of those mistakes from a freshman coming in, but he's been with the program for three years, okay? He's, he's made, he, in, that, in that drive against Auburn, in 2019, he made some incredible reads and some incredible throws to get us down to uh, kicking that field goal. I didn't see that against FAU. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to disagree with the contents of what you're saying. I just, again, I don't like to make too much out of one game. I, I don't. Because if you were – let's say that uh, – let, let's say someone – uh, unfortunately knocked you into a coma around New Year's Day or, or no, like, like January 10th, 2007, like right after Florida wins the BCS title against Ohio State. Chris Leak leaves. You know Tim Tebow is going to be the guy. And unfortunately, you're knocked into a coma. And the first thing you see upon waking up is Tim Tebow against Auburn. I know that's not the first game of the year, but let's just say for argument's sake, the first thing you see of Tim Tebow as a starting quarterback is him against Auburn where he looks flummoxed by that Will Muschamp defense at Auburn. And someone tells I love you that diction. Wow. Yeah. Well, and some, someone tells you, yeah, this guy is, uh, is really good. He's our starting quarterback and no one thinks otherwise. And you, you look at the game and you're like, no, no, he's not. What are you talking about? Now, again, I realize that was not the first game of the year. That was against a much better defense than FAU's defenses. But the point is, no one game can set a rule, 
Okay, it is very, very possible that Emory Jones will bounce back and will shred USF for 300 yards through the air and 200 more on the ground. USF's defense is awful. He probably won't do that against Alabama, but it is very possible that he bounces back from that one bad game and has three or four great games in a row, and everyone is now touting him for Heisman again. It's also possible that USF is a replay of FAU. He doesn't look good. He makes some some drive-killing mistakes, and the questions deepen, and the nerves in Gator Nation get even worse. So, again, it's just one game. I know it wasn't good. I know it didn't look good. I know there are all kinds of things he's got to work on. I get it. I know. I agree. But it was just one game. So let's just, for now, we can revisit after USF. But for now, and I'm talking to Casey here, by the way, because he was even more on edge than you were when I talked to him last night about this. But just, you know, calm down. It was one game. If this happens again against USF, we can revisit, and I will be far less forgiving if it happens a second time. But let's just back away from the ledge for now and let him play a second game before we crucify him. No, if Emory – okay, so just to recap, for those of you that, that have not gotten the drift, Emory's going to likely be the starter against USF. I don't think there's any question about it. For anybody that's turning on this – this podcast and thinking that we're, we're going to make some bold announcement that, that uh, Anthony Richardson is going to be the starter. You're, you're sorely mistaken. Emory Jones is going to start against USF. He has the full, the full gamut of, of uh, support from the entire team, the, the, the entire coaching staff. In fact, you know, opening up my Twitter feed today and seeing, some of the stuff from Jacob Copeland. I mean, that completely turned my mind around because I mean, there, I mean, if you think about it, there, there's no more besides obviously the head coach, there's no more important person to be in your corner as a quarterback than the, the first string wide receiver. I know obviously there's three in, in this particular offense, but Copeland is the primary receiver. He's literally the guy that is wearing number one this year. But like you said, Neil, there, there needs to be a major improvement. Now, unfortunately, the, that Alabama game isn't the fourth game of the season. It's not the fifth game of the season. It is the third game of the season. So if this coaching staff has, has enough faith in Emory Jones to say, okay, he's going to be our starter, and we're going we're gonna to put an entire – game week to Emory Jones instead of giving a guy like Anthony Richardson where if he was to ultimately be the starter against Alabama, like let's say we come back to the drawing board next week after the USF game and Emory Jones is still making the same mistakes, we come into that game, we're like, well, hey, we played Emory Jones. Yeah, Anthony, of course, got some playing time, made some big plays, but now we're coming back to the same point the same point in time just to make a decision that probably should have made a week prior. So for the sake of this team, for the sake of the success of the season, and primarily I know that there's sort of this, this, this nearness bias that Alabama game is, is uh, you know, less than two weeks away. What can we do that can put us in the best circumstance for that game? And arguably – if you, if you are potentially going to make a quarterback change for that game, then why not make that quarterback change now when you have an extra week to prepare that quarterback for that game? Yeah, but here's that's the counterpoint, my, Dustin. That's my biggest qualm. Dustin, there's, here's, the, here's the counterpoint. What happens if you put in Anthony Richardson as a starter against USF and he doesn't look any better than Emory Jones did? Now you've got two quarterbacks on your team that aren't particularly confident against Alabama. So then what? That's a that's an excellent question. Because then you, you've had the the guy that's been entrenched as a starter all offseason long gets pulled because of one bad game. The second string quarterback goes in and he doesn't do well. Now, like now, what do you do? So I I understand, I get it, but here let's also remember 
Uh, and, and this is the last point we'll make before we wrap up the show. But let's also remember, remember Alabama can beat us by 60. Florida still controls its own destiny to the college football playoff. Like, think about it. Because it's, it's a West team, so it doesn't do a damn thing in preventing them from winning the SEC East. You win your, every other game you play in the SEC, meaning you beat Georgia. That's the one that really matters. You'll be 7-1 and one in conference with a head-to-head win over the Georgia Bulldogs. So even if they don't lose a game in the SEC all year long, they're still 7-1 well, and because that loss is to you. So that's the one that matters. Like, well, no, you're Al- right. You're right. Alabama doesn't well, matter in the grand scheme of things long term. So, well, yeah, you're right. But, you know, I mean, for the sake of anticipation – um, I'm not going to ask you what you're, if you've revised your pick for the Alabama game, but just to hold your feet to the fire, you and Casey picked Florida to beat Alabama. I'm the only person that picked Florida to lose to Alabama. And, but you also yeah. picked Florida to beat Alabama in the rematch for the SEC title. Yes, which is obviously the more important. I am, and I am, by the way, I am still, I will, I will not outright say Florida will beat Alabama. I think Florida will be underdogs to LSU, even after that terrible performance in the Rose Bowl, I still think Florida will be underdogs in that game. I think they'll be underdogs to Georgia and to Alabama. And I am still going to maintain that Florida will beat one of them. And then they will make it up by losing the game they shouldn't, possibly to Missouri, who did not look great against Central Michigan. But that's the point of playing the games because teams that shouldn't win sometimes do win. So I will still maintain Florida will win a game they shouldn't this year, and they will lose a game they shouldn't. And right now the games they should not win are LSU on the road, Georgia, and Alabama. I still think they'll win one of them, um, and I think that they'll lose – another game that they shouldn't. So, uh, yeah, let's let Dustin, we, we have a, we have a, a segment to bring back that we haven't done since the cotton bowl. And it wasn't a lot of fun to do that day. It was going to be a little more oh fun my. to do here. Yes. Wow. Yeah. Final oh, word man. time. Let's do it. All right. So, uh, we're going to bring back that segment called the final word, um, that wraps up and puts a bow on and then puts to bed the previous game. For those of you who are new listeners, we're going to go back and forth and give our play of the game, player of the game, and our grades for offense, defense, special teams, and coaching. And new to this year, we're going to give a final number grade from 0 to 100 for the game overall, all things considered. So, again, we're grading offense, defense, special teams, and coaching from the old A to F scale like usual, but we're going to add a number grade from 0 to 100 for the game as a whole before we put it to bed. So because I just usurped Dustin's host role, he gets to go first here. And we'll start with the play of the game. Dustin, what was your play of the game? And I know what it's going to be, but go ahead and, and take it away. Yeah. 73-yard touchdown run by Anthony Richardson. I know I could also probably go with the uh, the first touchdown of the game, the the Damian Pierce touchdown run, which was pretty stellar. Um. But that, I mean, wow. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about it right now. Um, for those of you on Twitter, you know that I, that I brought a camera to the game and, and I snagged a few shots of that particular play. And, I mean, Anthony Richardson's electric. That play definitely deserves to be uh, the play of the game, in, in, in my opinion. I kind of knew that was going to happen, so I'm going to purposely – pick a different play. I'm going go to go it. with the Damian Pierce touchdown run at the midway point approximately in the third quarter. I hinted at it before. Gene DeLance, I mean, look, anyone who's watched Gator football knows he's been responsible for no shortage of badly missed blocks or blown assignments. He laid a pretty nasty block there to set the edge for Damian Pierce to go through the right sideline. Um, that was awesome. I love that. He did not play great. Throughout the entire game, Delance, he did miss a couple of blocks and assignments here and there. That was a nice play that finally showed me, all right, there's something there. There's some promise there. He's capable of doing that. There's a reason that the Texas Longhorns wanted him. There's a reason he was a four-star recruit. There's, there's something we can at least be positive about as we head into the meat of our season. Damian Pierce with a nice speed to get there, of course. 
Um, but I, I was a big fan of that. I love a good redemption story. I love a good, uh, you know, he's been knocked down, but let's get back up and let's make plays type of story. So good for him. Uh, that made it 21, nothing Florida. And that erased any semblance of doubt as to the game's outcome. So that's my play of the game. Um, player of the game. We're going to make a little more interesting. We're not allowed to say Anthony Richardson because that's what? the obvious one. We know, Our, no Richardson because we no. know because because we would all say it. Casey would have said it if he were on the pod. I know you're <laughs> going to say it, and I and I was going to say it, but we're going to make it interesting. So no oh, AR fifteen. Aside from him, who is the player of the game? So Neil, you should go first on this one. Okay, Since I gotta I gotta completely think about somebody else. <laughs> yeah, you do right. Um, yeah. Okay, I'm going to go oh, with a guy that you mentioned but didn't go into great depth on. How about Malik Davis? The guy has taken handoffs from Luke Del Rio, Felipe Franks, Malik Zaire, Kyle Trask, and Anthony Richardson, and Emory Jones. He has been here since 2017, and how about 14 carries for 104 yards and a touchdown? Finally, as you mentioned, at least looking like there's a chance we might get that 2017 pre-knee injury version of Malik Davis back. Loved it. Loved everything about his game. He ran hard. He ran angry. He lowered his shoulder at times. He wanted those yards. He earned every single inch of them. His offensive line helped. They were better in the blocking in the run blocking game. But Malik Davis, I'm I'm clapping right now. I, I applaud that effort. I loved it. That's exactly what playing Gator football is supposed to be about. You know, those, those long, hard roads back types of stories. I absolutely stand Malik Davis. So good for you. I'm so happy for you. I can't wait to see what the rest of the season brings. Yeah. Well, I'm actually going to have two players of the game t- completely tied, and they're both on defense. I have to give a shout-out to Gervon Dexter, with the two fumble recoveries. I mean, this guy, I mean, obviously coming in as a five-star, you would definitely expect him to be making big plays at this by this point. But I did not expect him to, to have such a knack for picking up the ball. Uh, what, what, a big, what a big turn of events um, in seeing Dexter pick up the ball and recover the fumble. Also, the, both those fumbles. I also want to give a shout-out to my co-player of the game in, in Zachary Carter. I mean, three sacks. I mean, that guy was all over the, the backfield um, from, from quarterback hurries to just sacking uh, poor Nikosi Perry. Um, what, a, what a game by, by Zachary Carter. Uh, definitely living up to the preseason hype that, that uh, we've seen around the nation and in, in, uh, in him being a, a first-team All-SEC guy. But even on our show, I mean, we had Alex Brown on and we talked about Carter, and he's definitely putting on a show, putting on a clinic, and I look forward to seeing him um, down the line. And let me just say this. Uh, I'm currently not picking Florida to beat Alabama, but if Florida does pull off the, the monumental upset, it would have to take – an incredible game by Zach Carter and Zach Carter's definitely showing me what it takes to see him to be that type of star that we know he can be. So Neil, I know that we've uh, given our, our play of the game and our player of the game, but let's go ahead and give our grades. Not quite. Um, One thing I got to point out, Alex Brown, oh. Alex Brown said on our show, you remember uh, if he breaks that record for sacks, I'll be the first to congratulate him. Alex Brown's record for sacks in a season is 13. Zach Carter's got three. So I, I know FAU's offensive line is abysmal, but in his next 12 games, assuming we don't get the SEC championship game, we get to a bowl game, he's going to have 12 shots to get 10 sacks and, and match Alex Brown's record and 12 games to beat his record by getting 11 more sacks. His, his career sack total of 33 is going to be harder for him to touch. But, I mean, think about it. It's not that unfathomable that in no. 12 games he could get 11 sacks. Because think about it. Like he'll play USF, another terrible offensive line, and he'll play Samford. I understand it's kind of cheap to, to rack up you know, ridiculous numbers against those teams, but 
he could help himself out in a big way. Let's say he gets two against USF and, and two more against Sanford. All of a sudden, he's more than halfway there. And he just needs six sacks against eight SEC opponents plus a terrible offensive line in FSU plus a bowl game. He could do it. So oh, yeah. we're, we're, we're officially on record-breaking watch here because those are three teams that don't have great offensive lines. And if he stays healthy, he – he might. He he just might. So keep an eye on that as the season progresses. Yeah. yeah, I think I think if Zach Carter ends up staying healthy and plays all thirteen games, if you include uh the bowl game, um he's definitely I, I actually I don't want to use the word definitely because anything can happen, but he's very likely to break the record assuming he stays healthy. So Neil, thank you for breaking that up. Or bringing that out, I should say. Yeah. So uh, with Breaking that said, yeah, with that said, man, time for the grades. This is going to be fun. Um, yep. The semester right. just started as well. So yeah, got to give a, a shout point. out to, to all the, all the, the Gator students that are, um, are, are, are learning some, some things and, and uh, back in the classroom for the first things. time. I like that. Learning time. some things. Um, okay, man, let's go through them. Offense, defense, special teams, and coaches. And then the number grade from 0 to 100. Offense, I'm going to give a B- slash C+, um, just just straddling that line. Basically like an 80 or 79.99999 repeated. It's on that border because the offensive line had its best game, I think, in the run blocking game since 2018, Mullen's first year. They did rush for – 400 yards, which is the most they've ever rushed for in Dan Mullen's three seasons plus one game. So you can't fail them. You can't put them anywhere close to failing because the running game was very, very good. Um, Passing game, the exact reverse. The receivers couldn't get open. The pass blocking wasn't even that great. And the throws from Emory Jones and even some from Anthony Richardson were, were iffy. Um, you know, Jones can't telegraph balls like he did uh, on Saturday night, threw one in the end zone, never should have been thrown. It was intercepted, threw another one down the down the near sideline on the TV screen. Just not a good idea to go there in the first place and then a bad throw to compound it. So I'll give it a fringe B minus C plus grade. Defense will get a solid B. They weren't terrible. Again, FAU is not going to make them look terrible, but – I'll give them a B because they did keep them off the scoreboard for three quarters, which is more than they did against anyone last year, even Vanderbilt. So, and, and the front seven did look good. They did get five sacks. They did knock the ball out three times. The secondary is still a major concern, but overall they were fine, which is the B grade. Special teams gets probably a B also. I've, I've been thinking about what I was going to give them. Xavier Henderson had a big punt return. Aside from that, they didn't really do much. They didn't kick field goals. Uh, Jeremy Crawshaw was fine. He had one touchback. You would have liked to have seen him pin them inside the 10-yard lines that he booted into the end zone. Had another boomer that pinned them back inside their own 15, I think it was, later in the game. So he was good. Didn't really get anything out of the kicking games. It was all touchbacks after touchdowns. Um, so I'll give him a B to a B plus. And coaching, got to remind everyone that we have a rule this year, a very special rule, that if Florida's defense gives up 425 yards of offense or more, it was originally 400, I'm going to be a little more lenient and give it 425 because that's three yards less than Florida averaged last year on defense. They gave up 428 yards per game on defense. So we're going to bump that up by three to 425. Any game in which Florida's defense gives up 425 yards or more, the coaching gets an auto F because that is on Dan Mullen for bringing back Todd Grantham despite, statistically speaking, one of the worst seasons in the history of the program. So they didn't give up that many yards. They did give up 335, which is not good. But overall, I thought the coaching gets about a C-plus I don't know who was really to blame for that QB sneak on fourth and goal from the four. I think that was on Emery, but it's hard to really tell. Mullen could have just been mad at himself that Emery didn't audible out of it. Maybe it was a sort of thing where he was just supposed to read the defense. If he saw a hole to take the snap and try to sneak it off the side or something. I have no idea what that was about. 
Um, and I, and I, we're probably not going to get a straight answer off of that. You can ask them in the postgame presser, but you're probably not going to get the truth out of that. So, uh, yeah, C+. Plus. Um, because I did like how he put AR in the game later when Emery was struggling. I would have liked to have seen quarterbacks start and finish their own drives. Anthony Richardson led a nice drive in the first half, and then once he got down inside the 10-yard line, Emery Jones comes in and promptly throws a pick. Can't do that. I never liked that when Mullen did that with Trask and Emery, um, or Felipe and Emery for that matter, back in 2018-19. But uh, yeah, C-plus and... Overall, I'm going to give this game a 78, which is a solid, solid C plus grade. Um, it was a passing grade. They got the job done. It wasn't a failure. They didn't have to go to overtime against FAU. They didn't, you know, it wasn't anything like that. But it was a meh, ho hum, you know, mid type of game where they got the win. No major injuries. That was big. Um, but just a lot left to be desired. So definitely room for improvement, but overall not atrocious. So 78, those are my grades. Dustin, how about you? So, man, those are some excellent grades. Uh, great job with that. Um, so when I'm grading offense, I look at two things. Well, when I'm grading the team in general, I'm looking at two things. I'm looking at who you played and how you played who you played. So if this performance was against Alabama or Georgia where you get 400 yards rushing, like you, you look back at the uh, Will Muschamp's last year when we played Georgia, and, and uh, we, I, I don't think we quite got 400 yards, but we got pretty close, and we ran the more. ball all over we them. More. More? Well, we went. We had 418 yards of offense on the ground. What? Yep, 418 rushing yards. Yeah. Oh my! Wow. Well, Neil, the human Gator football encyclopedia. <laughs> Thank you for that correction. Um, definitely, definitely an appropriate time to be corrected uh, with such brilliance during the grade period. Anyhow, I look at who you play and how you play who you played. And the third thing I look at is who, who you're trying to be. So this Gator football team is trying to be balanced. So I'm not going to grade them as if they're Georgia Tech because if they're the old Georgia Tech team, which hardly passed the ball, ran the ball basically all game, yeah, give them give the offense an A. We're not going to expect them to throw the ball with any, with any semblance of creativity or, or explosion. The th- the, so – if I'm going to evaluate balance, I'm going to have to break up the score into two, two categories. The pass offense gets a D, a D minus. I mean, anytime you're missing reads, you're throwing interceptions, you're um, not making the right call on, on fourth and four, that likely should have been some sort of pass. Um, I mean, the, the, our, our, uh, our pass game, especially in the red zone, was horrible. That's how you win games. I mean, the pass gets a D minus. The run gets an A minus. Now, again, uh, this is against FAU. If you're running like that against a top 25 defense, then yeah, maybe the the run should get a should get an A plus. But until Anthony Richardson got in the game, we weren't really having explosive runs. I, I did like the, I believe it was Malik Davis who had a 31 yard run, which was pretty impressive, but. I thought we could have run the ball more effectively. Again, you take Anthony out of out of the mix, and you take the quarterbacks out of the mix, and it's you know we're still running the ball pretty good, but you know a minus for the for for the run. If you if you average that out, that's a solid C for the offense. As far as the defense, um, I agree with pretty much every point you made. Uh, I'm going to call it a B plus. I'm I'm not going to take too much off for the end of the game because obviously. You know, we're just putting in the backups to get experience. And it's to be expected that they're going to make mistakes, especially when FAU continues to leave their ones in the game for the most part. Special teams, my big rule for special teams is as long as they don't make mistakes, they're going to get an A. So that punt return was pretty special. Um, didn't, didn't go all the way for a touchdown, but it still changed the, the field position part of the game. We were 100% on, on kicks. Uh, I want to give a shout out to uh, Jeremy Crawshaw. I think that's how you pronounce his name. Um, he had two punts. 
his his long was 55 yards and his average was I think 49 yards, which is pretty pretty impressive for for uh, the uh, the Australian native um, coming in his first career game, first career start as a as a Gator and having that kind of performance. So you know he's he's uh, continuing the punters are people too tradition that the University of Florida has. Last but not least, the coaching staff. Um, I'm going to give him a B minus. Uh, I think, again, like we've talked about all, all episode, um, I think this Gator team, a lot of left out there to be desired for. I want to see more consistency. You know, I want to, obviously we talked about the quarterback situation, but that all come, that all, that all stems from the coaching. And if Dan Mullen touts himself as being the best quarterback head coach in the nation, um, which we know he can be. We saw it with Kyle Trask. We saw it with Dak Prescott. We saw it early in his career with Tim Tebow and, and even what he was able to do with Chris Leak, taking him from being a, a, a great player to a player that led the Gators to a national championship in 2006. I expect a lot more from him. So it'd be a B minus for the coaching staff. And just real quick, I'm not going to break it down any further, but if you take all those grades, um, it, it averages out to about a B. So that'll probably be about an 85% uh, as far as a one to 100 grade. Okay. So Neil. Yeah. That's fair. Yeah. Any, I think any you're thoughts a little, before we. Yeah, no, I, I think you're a little higher on the coaching staff than I was. Uh, and, and I'm not even the the auto F thing doesn't even come into play unless you give up 425 yards. We didn't do that. So I'm not even factoring in Mullen's decision to bring back Todd Grantham into the grades here. But I, I just don't know that letting a QB drive down inside the red zone and then taking him out is going to, is, is a feasible way to go. No, I, in fact, I, I just, I outright hate that. So Mullen did that twice. So I don't know that I really want to give the coaching any higher than a, a low B minus like an 80%, but I mean, now, he had the offensive line ready to now, go. Now, to be fair, the number I put down on my paper to give you that B-minus grade was an 82%. So we're only like 2% off, yeah. right? So 80, 85 would include that record-breaking, well, near record-breaking performance from the, the, the run part of the offense. Yeah. Um, the defense that uh, up until the fourth quarter was pitching a shutout. So, but then did not and gave up a lot of yards in the fourth quarter, which, yep. okay, fourth quarter, you're up three scores, but four scores, but still not good. because yeah, how many FAU. starters were playing in that fourth quarter, though? Doesn't matter. That's Florida Atlantic. Yeah. Yep. So that, that, that counts. If you're going to play the backups, that's totally fine. I encourage that, but that's still part of the game grades. So right. that, that does count. So, yeah. All right, man. I think we've been pretty comprehensive about things here. I think the yes. the final word of the show is that we know Dan Mullen's not going to bench Emory Jones because of one game. I don't think he should. I think Dustin is a little closer to that point than I am. I, I know Casey's already there. Um, but we're going to have to just let Emory Jones play a second game so it's a non-one-game sample size that we're calling for him to be benched over. And we'll have more to talk about USF in the next few days. They do have a quarterback that had a lot of power five offers at a high school in Cade Fortin. So he didn't look great against NC state, but nonetheless, that is still a talented QB that we're going to have to go against. So we'll break that all down and more later in the week. Um, that's going to do it for this episode of the in all kinds of weather forecast. And if you enjoyed our show, please give us a five-star rating and a nice review on iTunes. We would very much appreciate that. Um, last order of business, we did not get to do it at first. We were so pressed for time, we forgot all about it, but we got to shout out our sponsors. As usual, we are proudly partnered with the Gator Good Foundation, the nonprofit organization that works to send an underprivileged Gator fan to the swamp. We were reduced to a virtual campaign in 2020. And now we are just a few weeks away from finally being back and doing what we love to do most, and that is bring a deserving Florida Gator fan to his or her first ever game. If you have not already heard, we have selected the candidate that I think 
perfectly embodies all that the Gator Good Foundation is about. So go to our website, GatorGoodFoundation.com to learn more. You can also use the website to donate to our cause. Um, and for further updates, you'll want to be following our social media handles, which are at the Gator Good on Twitter, at Gator Good Foundation on Instagram, and the Gator Good Foundation on Facebook. Of course, again, our website is GatorGoodFoundation.com. Click on the homepage main story to learn more about Mr. Ontario Jones, who is our 2021 winner. Second, we are proudly sponsored by Stingray Branding. These folks will put a sting in your marketing and deliver results that will wow your clients, whether it's web design, logo design, branding, graphic design, social media management, search engine optimization, marketing strategy, or mobile app design, Stingray Branding has you covered. If you or someone you know needs professional help in any of the above, here are two great reasons why you should choose Stingray Branding. One, it's a veteran-owned business. Can't think of a better way to thank those who serve our country than by giving the business. And two, it's run by a Florida Gator. So yes, they do great work, but they do great work and they're owned by a Florida Gator who happens to be a U.S. veteran. To learn more about their services and rates, go to stingraybranding.com, stingraybranding.com. Uh, yeah, so as I said, we have a USF preview coming out later this week. We will see you then. Dustin, I think in honor of the win, albeit a somewhat underwhelming one. In honor it was very ho-hum, for sure. It was ho-hum. So, but in honor of the victory, which we did not get in any of the previous three games the Gators played, I think it is only fitting to let you cap off the show as only you can. Yeah, I mean, this is the first Gator victory on the football side of things in the year 2021, um, a year that's proved to be in some ways at least better than 2020. I mean, it's hard to not be better than 2020. Um, anyhow, it's time. So as we like to say on this show, in all kinds of weather, we all stick together for F-L-O-R-I-D-A. Go Gators! Go Gators. Let's continue that yep. state dominance and beat USF. Yep. Yep.